This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Into hour two of the program this afternoon. Logan Gordon along with you from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. Hour one in the books. Conversations with Pete Labardius and Sandra Persina. All things NHL playoffs with Lou. Catching up with the Calgary Wranglers with Sandra. And uh, here in hour two. Very happy to kick things off. Uh, conversation about all things Seattle Kraken. Game two, Kraken and Stars goes tonight from Dallas. Seattle plays spoiler in game one. Joe Pavelski, four-goal game. Doesn't matter to Yanni Gord. Tricky shot over the shoulder of Jake Ottinger. And the Seattle Kraken take a one nothing series lead. They look to uh, continue to prove people wrong. As they head into game two and look for a 2-0 series lead to help us chat uh, about that. Anytime we chat, anything Seattle Kraken, I'd uh, love to bring this guy on. Always kind enough to give us some time down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's the voice of the Seattle Kraken. It's Everett Fitzhugh joining us this afternoon. Everett, thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Hey, Logan. Doing well, bud. Doing well. We're playing hockey in May in Texas. <laughs> so, all things considered, I couldn't be doing much better. I could think of a lot worse places. <laughs> Absolutely, man. And what a run so far for the Seattle Kraken, downing the defending Stanley Cup champions in the first round in seven games, and now into Dallas with a great performance in game one. How much fun has this been in year two of the Seattle Kraken to to be at this point and to to have this sort of early season success, early franchise success just into year two? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the fun is an understatement, that's for sure. But I think when you look at where this team came from, everyone wanted to to compare this team to Vegas. The Golden Knights have ruined future expansion teams (laughs) across all sports for the rest of time. I don't care what sport you are. Look at what Vegas did. Why can't you do the same thing? So thanks a lot, Vegas. Appreciate (laughs) you. But when, 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 you, when, you, when you consider where the Seattle Kraken were last year, all the moves they made at the deadline, every single expansion pick was, was scrutinized. Should they have taken that guy? Should they have taken this guy? And then you, you bring in some crucial pieces in the offseason. You bring in an Oliver Bjorkstrand. You bring in um, an Andre Burakovsky. Martin Jones, you sign as a backup goaltender. Um, you know, not flashy names. Not you know you're, you're not you're not bringing in the 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 cadres, right? You're not bringing in the Kachucks and the Huberdos, but these are really good pieces uh, around you that you can kind of filter into your lineup. And, and this is a cracking roster that I've always said this: there maybe isn't one person, or there isn't maybe one thing that this team does great, but they do a lot of things really really well. And I mean, when you look at a guy like Daniel Sprong, who was traded for at the deadline last year. 11.25 of ice time. He's got 46 points this season. So it's that full team buy-in. Jared McCann, your first 40-goal scorer, he signs a long-term deal 
at the end of last season and his entire mood, his entire attitude changes to, I can finally unpack all my boxes. My now fiance and I can put roots down. We can buy a house. This is going to be our home uh, for years to come. And you bring in a number of guys who are like that, who want to win here, who want to play here, who want to have personal success here. And it makes for a great recipe. And as, as you've seen all year long, I mean, this isn't, this isn't your father's Seattle Kraken, right? <laughs> this is last year's Seattle Kraken, and uh, it's paying off dividends in, in a big way. Yeah, I love how you put that, and I, I look at guys, and the other name I put in there seems that fits that bill is a guy like Ryan Donato, right, uh, Everett? One Absolutely. of those guys that's, you know, again, 10 minutes in game one, but he's got an assist on the board. He was all over it with two shots on goal, and it feels like Dave Haxtall's really found a good mix with this group and understanding what guys are, and where to put them in to be successful, I think, is what the biggest thing I look at when I see what Dave Haxtall's done with this group in year two. Yeah, and I think it starts on the defensive side of the puck. This is a, a relentless forechecking team. You know, this is a, a team that's really good in the neutral zone. Maybe it's not the famed 1-3-1 of the LA Kings, but it's still very aggressive. It's still one of those things where you, you can't get through it easily. And even in the first year for the Seattle Kraken, talked to a lot of broadcasters, a lot of staff, a lot of coaches around the league, and the number one thing they said about this Kraken team is that this is probably one of the hardest working teams we've played against this year. It just so happened that the Kraken were not getting rewarded for a lot of that effort. Move to year two, they're continuing that relate that relentless forecheck, being hard on pucks, uh, skating with teams. I mean, this team has got more pace than a lot of other teams around the league. And when you see that it's being done by committee, when you see that it's 18 guys in double-digit scoring, when you see you've got 14 players with 20 or more points, seven guys um, with 20 or more goals, you can't zero in on one line. If you shut down Matty Beneers, Jared McCann, Jordan Eberle, that's okay. Here comes Bjorkstrand, Gord, and, and Ellie Tolvanen, who was picked up off of waivers in November. Uh, Brandon Tanev, who was injured last year. He had three goals in his first eight games, and we're thinking, man, where's, what's this guy going to do? He gets injured. He comes back this year, his first full season with the Seattle Kraken, and has his first 30-point year of his career. So it's all about putting guys in positions to succeed and fitting into the system. The number one question that I was asked coming into the playoffs, well, how are the Kraken going to do this? They don't have a McKinnon. They don't have a McDavid. They don't have a superstar that can take over games. Well, they haven't needed it because you've got 15 guys who have scored goals for the Kraken this postseason. Yeah, and that's, that's incredible to me, and that's exactly one of the notes I had written down. Five different goal scorers in game one, Everett. Uh, 15 different players who scored the 18 goals in round one. This is truly a team that not only does it by committee, but I like hearing from the guys that are okay with that. They know, I've heard a number of the guys say, look, we don't have a guy that's going to put up three or four like you mentioned, but we got three or four guys that are going to put up one a night, and for us, that puts us in a position to succeed, and they've really ran with that concept. You know, I've seen a number of articles in various publications, the top 50 players in the NHL. I don't think a single list had a Seattle Kraken uh, in the top 50 of the NHL. Jared McCann, 40 goals, 70 points. Matty Beneers, probably going to win the Calder uh, this year. I already mentioned Daniel Sprong, 46 mm-hmm. points 
in 10 and a half minutes of ice time. Yanni Gord, the emotional catalyst of this team, not a nary a single Kraken, nary a single tentacle in that top <laughs> 50, depending on uh, what list you read. But you're right. If the guys have one mission. You know, we want to win. That, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the mantra around the locker room. I don't care if I score. I don't care if you score. As long as someone scores and as long as we're winning, that's what's going to be the most important thing at the end of the day. Uh, Everett, I'm really curious how you saw game one in this series against Dallas because a lot of people after round one, I think, would have sat there and said, look, Seattle's already accomplished plenty. You take out the defending Stanley Cup champions in year yeah. two of your franchise. You've you've won enough, right? Everybody's going to come home happy in Seattle and say we've got some, some playoff experience. It was great for the group, but they didn't go into game one satisfied that they had beaten Colorado and that that was the end yeah. of their journey. They were really impressive, and they continued to have that fight back. Have you seen that same sort of identity from them, that same sort of message since that series against Colorado ended? Oh, 100%. I mean, these guys are having fun. These guys are not just happy to be here, right? They, they, they're they not happy just making the playoffs, but they're having fun. They, I think they realize this team is playing with house money when you think about it. The Kraken are about, a, in my opinion, about a year and a half, maybe two years ahead of schedule. If you would have told me coming into the season, the Seattle Kraken would be hovering at about 500, just below, just above. You're playing meaningful games in March. You're four, six points out of a playoff spot. I would have been ecstatic with that. Um, but now you're in a playoff spot. At one point, you were within four, three points, three points of the top spot in the conference. Uh, earlier in the season, you were in a battle for that top three all year long and, and until the cream of the crop, the Oilers, um, uh, Golden Knights, kind of uh, and Kings moved up and, and distanced themselves. But when you come into this series, this is a, a, a very similar team to the Colorado Avalanche in that they have the star power up front but they have a little bit more depth. They're a lot bigger and they're a little more physical than the Colorado Avalanche. But for the Kraken, they didn't need to change their game and change their style that much. Whereas for the Dallas Stars, you could tell, especially in game one, they just got finished playing a heavy physical team. They weren't used to teams that can skate with Jason Robertson and, and Rope Hintz and, and who can be as offensive from the blue line as the Merrill Haskin and Yanni Hockenpah's got a death, uh, a deathly shot from that point And he can generate some rebounds. You're not, they weren't used to that style of play. So I do expect some adjustments from them in game two, but I do think for the Seattle Kraken, listen, they, they're having fun. They're enjoying this ride here in the playoffs, the belief in the locker room, you know, I was watching both morning skates today and I went into the, to the Dallas locker room just to hear some comments from some folks. And you, you could sense a little bit of, I don't want to say nervous energy, but it was a very workmanlike attitude, right? You know, we need, we know what we need to do. We need to win game two here tonight. Here's how we're going to do it in the Kraken locker room. It was a little bit more lighter, a little more jovial guys were chirping each other and, you know, throwing tape around. <laughs> like these guys are having fun. They're having a good time on this ride. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's so important. And it's been great to see. It's been a fun story to watch so far. And I'm excited to see, where it goes and where it continues tonight. A couple of individual guys that I'd love to talk to you about ever. You mentioned one of them already yeah. named a, a finalist for the Calder trophy last, uh, last night, Matty Beniers, just a casual 20 minutes and 15 seconds 
uh, in game one. He comes out with the one point. Uh, power play time, shorthanded time, offensive tasks, yeah. defensive tasks. I don't know what more yeah. you could put on the plate of a 20-year-old coming into his first full NHL season that Matty Beneers hasn't lived up to. Just talk to me about the season that he's had, how he's continued into the postseason, and just how important he's been as a, a piece to this Seattle Kraken puzzle. Yeah, I mean, he, he got off to a real hot start, and I think he, he was going on that adrenaline. We saw the 10-game the tryout at the end of last year, which, weirdly enough, started in Calgary, his first inning. Yes, we remember it here, uh, yeah. In Calgary, <laughs> yeah, at the, end of the, at the end of the year last year. But to see the kind of player that he's matured into has been fun to watch. And I think for him, you have to remember, NCAA college season, you're only playing, you know, 38 to 45 games maybe depending on how far you go so you're not playing a whole lot of hockey so Matty Beneers you know at the all-star break the Christmas break he had already played more hockey than he's ever played in his career and you did see a bit of a dip uh, in his production I think he had a, a 10 game point drought and only had a couple of points over 20 some odd games but he never he never gave up he stuck with it and, and I think he's a player that knows the areas that he needs to work on. He knows he needs to get a bit stronger. He knows he needs to, to get a little bit quicker. And that's and that's just playing in the NHL. Not saying he's a weak player. Not saying he's not a fast player. But he's going up against NHL talent Connor McDavid every single night. Right? You you're playing every other day. It's not just Fridays and Saturdays like in college hockey. So he had to really adjust to the NHL lifestyle. But I tell you what. He came on at the right time, the end of the year, last three weeks of the season, and he started to find that game that we saw beginning of the year, and it really has transitioned well, I think, in the playoffs. And even though he doesn't have a whole lot of point production, I think he only has the one goal so far uh, in the playoffs, but for him, he's doing a lot of things away from the puck, and he's helping to generate chances um, away from the puck that have led to this team's success. Another guy I wanted to bring up with you, Everett, uh, in goal, Philip Grubauer, has been a rock this postseason, beating his former team in round one. Uh, I know it was an injury plagued year for him. He only started in 36 games, but that playoff yeah. experience that he had with Washington and Colorado those past couple of years really seemed to be shining through. He seems like such a calming presence back there for Seattle every night. Yeah, that, that first series with the Colorado Avalanche, I think for him – uh, was was the best case scenario because you're going up against a team that you spent three years with, you were a Vesna finalist for, and then you also you know that building, you know those players, you know the the shadows from the from the lights, right? Little small things mm -hmm. we don't really take into account, but they actually matter. You know the angles and where uh, the pucks are going to come from. But I think for Philip Grubauer, unfortunately for him, the numbers in his first season, the numbers this year have not been, I think, where he expects them to be, where he wants them to be. He's still making big saves, and it reminds me of the team last year. The effort is there, but sometimes the rewards for the effort haven't been there on a nightly basis. But I think this first series for Seattle, end goal for him, to me, that proved and that showed that he is the number one goaltender on this team. I remember reading in the athletic before the inaugural season, the Kraken had the number three goaltending tandem coming into the season with, with uh, Grubauer and Chris Drieger. 
Of course, COVID hits uh, some injuries last year. Then Drieger gets hurt for Team Canada in the gold medal game at the World Championships. Philip Grubauer gets hurt uh, earlier this season. He missed some time. And enter Martin Jones, who, who held it down for the Kraken. But he, I think, is now back to that elite level that we all knew, we all hoped, and I think we all expected him to be at when he signed with the Kraken a couple of years ago. Uh, heading into game two uh, tonight, going to be a big one. That Dallas crowd has been incredible. It looked like a great atmosphere. Oh, I, couldn't, I couldn't hear myself think the other <laughs> night. That, man, oh, man, that was loud. Yeah, and then you, you throw in Joe Pavelski, who just comes back in, throws in four goals, and uh, what a pace yep. it had to it. I guess game two, obviously, you're going to want to keep Joe off of the scoreboard four times, but uh, anything yeah. else that comes to mind when you see Seattle heading into this game tonight and looking to take that 2 nothing series lead that you think is going to be key? Well, listen, outside of Pavelski's casual four goals, I mean, <laughs> the Dallas Stars didn't have an answer for what the Seattle Kraken presented. And like yeah. I said, it really appeared at times that you could tell they just finished playing a heavier physical team and they weren't used to or maybe weren't ready for the speed, the quickness, um, the skill that Seattle has. And I can promise you they're not going to make that mistake here in game two. But if I'm the Kraken, I still don't need to change my game that much. I mean, the relentless forecheck is going to continue. The strong play in the neutral zone is going to continue. All the pressure is on Dallas. You don't want to go down 2 nothing going into what has now become one of the loudest buildings in the playoffs in the NHL. The Kraken have struggled at home this season, though, and, and it was funny. The, the first-round series between Seattle and Colorado were a matchup of the two worst home records this regular season amongst playoff teams. So for the Kraken, who played well and who played some of their best hockey on the road, I mean, you're up one nothing. It's hard to say that a game is a must-win when you have a lead in the series. But I think going back home, you would love to take that 2 nothing lead Give yourself a little bit more breathing room uh, going into the remainder of this series. But, yeah, Dallas, they're going to come to play. They, Like I said today, their morning skate was very workmanlike, very business-like, you know. So I, I, they're, they're going to be ready for tonight's game. Uh, and that's the perfect way to end it there, Ever. Talk to me about how cool it was to be there for the first game in the playoffs for Seattle at Climate Pledge Arena. That building, like you said, was off the charts. I can't wait for game three because I can only imagine uh, the next level that the crowd's going to get to. And you got to be a part of it. You got to be in that building. How cool was that? You know what? It was It was so fun to be a part of for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, the first reason is, is as, you know, someone who's been with this organization as an employee since 2020, they, they brought me on in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so I, I've been able to see everything that's been built, all the hard work, all the sacrifices, the, the, blood, the proverbial blood, sweat, and tears, and sometimes the literal blood, sweat, <laughs> and tears um, that have gone into building this organization. So my first thought was for everybody in that organization and their hard work, uh, this was, that was for them. And to see that crowd, to hear that atmosphere, and to see that hard work pay off was awesome. And I think it goes without saying for the community that has supported this team since we were NHL Seattle. We didn't even have a name yet. We were still NHL Seattle. The, the, the city of Seattle, the community, the state, the entire region up into Alaska has, has embraced this team, and they've become 
hockey fans and they'll watch the the transition from year one we're going to go to a Kraken game because it's new it's sexy it's exciting to now year two we're going because Matty Beniers is going to win the Calder because Jared McCann's got 40 goals but because all these other things you're now seeing Seattle turn into an NHL town it's always been a hockey town with the Western Hockey League teams who are there but now you're seeing it become a NHL town and it's been so much fun to be a part of that and to see that. So that, that's those are the two big reasons and, and two big ways I look at that first home game for the Kraken. That's awesome. Uh, Everett, uh, congratulations, man, so far. It's been so much fun to uh, to see the run you guys have gone on. Best of luck tonight. Have a great call, Print. Always appreciate you taking the time for us out here in Calgary. I know we're not... We're not involved in it this year. Hopefully in another time we'll talk about a, a Seattle-Calgary rivalry sometime in the playoff, man. But I appreciate you taking some time out for us. Have a great one tonight, hey? Hey, I'm looking forward to it. And I'll tell you what, I cannot wait to see the Saddle Dome in playoff time one of these years. So thanks for the time, man. We'll talk soon. We'll catch up to you soon. Everett Fitzhugh, the voice of the Seattle Kraken, joining us down the Atlas Peach and Sports Bar guest hotline, chatting all things Kraken ahead of Game 2. Stars and Kraken tonight from Dallas. Wouldn't it be something if the Seattle Kraken can walk into Dallas and take a 2-0 series lead after taking out the Colorado Avalanche in round one? They can do some damage tonight. Uh, Expected to be a great crowd in Dallas once again. And uh, looking forward to that matchup. Philip Grubauer v. uh, Jake Ottinger is your matchup. That's a 7.30 puck drop. Uh, part of a doubleheader here on Sportsnet 960. The fan uh, will take you to the Panthers and the Leafs at 5 o'clock tonight. And then uh, GVP and Azam uh, working the late shift. They'll also have the Kraken and the Dallas Stars following Panthers and Leafs, a doubleheader of NHL playoff action here on Sportsnet 960. The fan. We will take a break, come back on the other side, wrapping up the hour with some Flames chat. Uh, we'll hear from NHL insider Frank Saravalli uh, on the latest from the Calgary Flames GM and coaching search. That's uh, as we wrap up Hour 2 of the program here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. All right, wrapping up Hour 2 of the show. Been a busy one so far. Taylor's been working the phone line all afternoon. Lou, Sandra, Everett Fitzhugh. Chad NHL playoffs, Wranglers playoffs, Kraken playoffs. Busy one. Uh, still more playoff action coming your way on the program on the uh, station tonight. Don't miss Panthers Leafs at five. Kraken and Dallas, seven thirty puck drop. We'll join it in progress following the Leafs and the Panthers. Uh, doubleheader of playoff action here on Sportsnet nine sixty. The fan. Looking ahead to tonight's lineup, some news and notes from the NHL insiders. Uh, sounds like the Maple Leafs will make one change to their lineup tonight. Sam Lafferty in, or yeah, Sam Lafferty in, uh, Zach Aston Reese out. That will be their only change in their lineup after losing game one to the Florida Panthers. And uh, head coach Sheldon Keefe uh, talking today to the media knows, uh, look, some of those mistakes they got to clean up into. Uh, Game number two, if they want a chance to win. I thought we made mistakes. Now credit to Florida because because of how they play, they they you know they they force you to make mistakes. But I thought we made some mistakes here tonight that we didn't necessarily make in the last series. No more mistakes tonight if they want a chance to uh, even this series up 
before it heads back to Florida. Panthers expected once again to start uh, Sergey Bobrovsky in net. It will be, of course, Ilya Samsonov going for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And then Seattle, Dallas. Your same goaltending matchup of Grubauer v. Ottinger. Of course, that's the news around the NHL, but the story in Calgary. Still following a, a GM search that's now underway by President of Hockey Operations Don Maloney and uh, current interim GM Don Maloney, I should say, as the GM and head coach search is well underway for the Calgary Flames and uh, candidates continue to pop up from NHL insiders. Elliot Friedman, uh, Jeff Merrick have talked about this the last couple of days. And uh, today, Frank Saravalli, our NHL insider here on Sportsnet 960 uh, from Daily Faceoff with his regular hit with the big show in the morning with Russick and Rose today. Uh, diving back into the questions around the Calgary Flames right now, possible GM candidates. Uh, Craig Conroy's name brought up here, bringing up some of the names that we've already heard in the last couple of days. But the conversation with Frank today uh, started on a question that was brought up to Don Maloney when he announced the firing of Daryl Sutter, and that was whether or not Brad Treliving would still be here if Daryl Sutter had been fired earlier on. And uh, that's where Frank uh, brings into this conversation and breaks into uh, a bigger, longer conversation around the Calgary Flames and the changes coming their way uh, at the GM and head coaching spots. Here is NHL insider Frank Saravalli with the guys on the big show a little earlier today. Do you think if Daryl would have got the ax the day after the Sharks game that Brad Tree Living will still be the general manager of the Calgary Flames? Yes. Oh, okay. That I mean, situation between I, the two would... I was going to say, no, I don't want ahead. to speak in any sort of absolute certainty, but right, it was it was made really clear to me that the reason Brad Tree Living is no longer the general manager of the Calgary Flames is because he made it. He wanted to make a coaching change, and at that moment in time, wasn't given permission to do so. And the Flames felt now, like they you... needed to also move forward with whatever they're doing next. And so those two things kind of converged and it was like, okay, maybe this is best if we just part ways. So, but Frank, I know a lot of this had to do and Elliot's reported on it too, that a lot of this had to do with the exit meetings, what the players were saying about the head coach and how maybe toxic the environment was this past season with the Calgary flames. But how does the organization not know that then? Like, how is this not, is this couldn't have been a surprise to everybody like, I, that, that's the part I don't get. It's like, oh, now we know. Well, now we got to fire them. Like, I'm sure they knew throughout the season what was really going on. No? How many times did we talk about it, guys? How many times did I bring exactly. it up in January, February, March, saying that this is a problem? It's not a new thing. The only thing that the exit interviews did was essentially write the epitaph on, on Daryl Sutter's tenure. It was crystal clear a long time ago that that's what needed to happen. And then the players stepping up and saying and being as honest as they were in their exit interviews, essentially saying a lot behind closed doors what we've been saying publicly for a while, that there was no path for Daryl Sutter to return, that there were multiple players, a handful or more, that were essentially flat out saying, if Daryl Sutter is coming back, I'm not. Oh, well, you have a contract next season. Yeah, doesn't matter. I'm not playing for this guy. Oh, you need to sign an extension. Would you sign an extension? Not with him here. Those were the types of questions and answers that the Flames were getting. Brad Tree living in the room, hearing it from the horse's mouth, and more importantly, Don Maloney, hearing it right from 
the horse's mouth so that essentially what took place in the last two weeks after those exit interviews was Don Maloney speaking to and interviewing other people and stakeholders around the team. Equipment managers, trainers, assistant coaches, other front office executives, agents, as he mentioned, to basically form a uh, sign the death warrant to basically have that plan be essentially bulletproof that the case was so strong in the other direction, there was no chance that he could come back. And the presentation that was made to ownership was essentially, look, if you want to choose the $4 million coach over the $83.5 million roster, that's your right as an owner. But just know that here's how it's going to impact our team being competitive next season either by virtue of the trades that we have to make this summer or whatever other moves we have to make in order to have that all be copacetic. How much more likely are extensions from Elias Lindholm and Michael Backlund now than they were earlier in the week? Well, it's hard to put a number on it, but I would say like extremely more likely. I mean, I don't know if they doubled or tripled the the likelihood, but it's, it's certainly a lot better chance now than it was five days ago. Now the GM search has to continue as well. Is there anything that you're maybe hearing as far as candidates or a timeline uh, that, you know, the obvious one that's been discussed a lot here is, is Craig Conroy is an internal candidate. Yeah. I'm still a little bit surprised at the way the Craig Conroy situation was handled. And I, I don't know how he fits into the mix. I'm sure that whatever the next path is that he will be given a chance to interview for the position. But my understanding is this, the flames are certainly not anointing anyone and they're beginning to cast a net. And Don Maloney, at least from my understanding in talking to people around the league is he's begun to make calls to essentially line up people and get a list together for interviews. So they are going to speak to a number of outside candidates. I don't know how outside the box their thought process is. Is it just people with experience? Are you willing to look into other uh, facets of the industry? Um, Those things are, I think, all on the table and conversations that Don Maloney is having, um, you know, in the days really since – Uh, making the coaching change on Monday, those calls began in earnest because uh, they, they knew that the first step in the process was making the coaching change, that you couldn't go about hiring a GM without first having made that decision. So the allure of this position probably goes up for a possible candidate now that the coaching change has been made. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, yeah. How could you hire a GM being boxed in on both sides? Okay, so you've got a bulletproof coach that you're inheriting and also now a president of hockey operations in Don Maloney. Is he the guy that is making the final say above you? I mean, to be have to have a lack of clarity on both ends of that and all of the player dissatisfaction, it, it made it almost impossible to fill the position. Sure. Could you get someone to take one of 32? Of course you could. But in terms of going out and getting a candidate that you find attractive would have been tough. Would have been like me at a bar. (laughs) We uh, don't sell yourself short, Frank. 
yeah, don't sell yourself short. I would have bought you a beverage for sure. Yeah. Um, I did want to ask you, we see all sorts of kind of power structures or organizational structures across the NHL these days, presidents and general managers. Is there something that you feel maybe works better than other styles given just the way today's NHL is with how today's player kind of, you know, goes about his business day to day? In what sense? Well, I just wonder about, you know, you mentioned the Don Maloney gets the, the role of the president and what is that going to kind of impact the next general manager? Is that the right kind of structure for teams nowadays or do you feel like there's maybe more of a where you have just a single individual at the very top of the pyramid who's making basically all the calls? It's just my own personal opinion watching the interaction that's taken place at times between teams that have a two-headed structure with a president of hockey ops and a general manager, that it doesn't always work out. I think what you end up doing is muddying the waters because how much is that president of hockey operations dabbling in the decision-making process? How influential is his opinion? How much bias, everyone has it, how much bias does he bring to the position that I think me personally, I'd rather see one person that's just making the, that goes into work every day, knowing that they're making the final call, that everything rests on their shoulders. And, and there are examples of relationships that work. I think, um, you know, Ken Hughes and Jeff Gordon in Montreal, they seem to work together just fine. And Luke Robitaille and, and Rob Blake in, in LA, great uh but i think there's plenty of other examples and you don't have to really go much further than the toronto maple leafs and the discord that's existed between brendan shanahan and kyle dubas over the last you know two years 18 months to indicate that it can be problematic that especially when you have someone that feels like they have a strong hockey opinion at times gets in the way of the general manager at and sometimes what they want to do and that general manager, or sorry, that president of hockey ops, excuse me, is the conduit between ownership and the team. So you don't know sort of what's being said between the two behind closed doors from president to owner that I think can also sometimes get in the way. Like the reason, part of the reason, or some of the reason for some of the discord is really the idea that Kyle Dubas wasn't able to get an extension from MLSE after Kyle, after Brendan Shanahan went to bat for him. Like things like that are problematic. And yeah. I personally, I, I just think there's too much evidence to the contrary of, of it not working um, to go down that path. And not to mention why, like why would you want to pay at the top two high priced executives when you, you really only need to pay one if you get the right guy. Frank Cervalli, NHL Insider Daily Faceoff, brought to you by South Trail. Chrysler joining us here on the big show, Russick and Rose, 960 The Fan. If Craig Conroy is the next general manager of the Calgary Flames, Frank, is Jerome McGinley part of this organization sooner, sooner than later? Um, I, I think he's still a year away. He's, at least my understanding is he wants to coach um, his son one more year at the hockey academy that he runs in Kelowna. And then after that, I think fair game. Um, 
that's at least my understanding of the situation. Obviously, Calgary holds a, a real special place in, in Jerome's heart. And my guess is at some point he'd be back in the mix. But I don't I, – I would have to think that's a possibility, if not a likely possibility. But, again, a little bit, you know, cart before the horse on bottom Could number possibly- of Right. Could you see maybe like a Martin St. Louis type situation with him here as the I, head coach? I don't, I, I guess. I mean, I, it depends on what his aspirations are. Does he want to coach? Right. Like, would he rather be in the front office in some role? Would he rather be an advisor? Um, it, there's, there's a million possibilities and he'd be good at a lot of them. But the fact that he's been coaching, you know, at least in, in youth hockey or minor hockey, uh, to me, at least, seems to speak to his interest in that side of it. So, is there the potential for that? Sure. Um, uh, there's no doubt that he would capture not just players' attention, but also really the the fan base and the market too. That I think would be incredibly important. And you see the success Marty St. Louis has without any real NHL experience coaching. It's it's not all just about X's and O's. They, those guys can figure that out. They they've forgotten more hockey than a lot of the other guys that do coach in the NHL even know. But um, so much of it has to do with charisma and and personality and relating to players, finding out what makes them tick, playing a modern day NHL psychologist more than anything else. And so I'd be curious to see what that aspect of him is like. Um, just wanted to ask you about head coaching candidates here in Calgary. Outside of what's already in the organization with guys like Mitch Love and Ryan Huska and Kirk Muller, who are some of the names Flames fans should really be paying attention to? Is it a Andrew Burnett? Is it a Bruce Boudreau? Is it a Mike Babcock? Who's some of these names that Flames fans should be paying attention to? I'm hesitant to really even name anyone because I don't have a real good sense that the flames are even going to go outside the organization. Like I don't want to say that it's a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. Cause mm. again, the, the next general manager of this team is, is going to make that call. But I think the preference from the organization, at least as I currently understand it would be to go internal. And we also know, you know, Murray Edwards is not, is not keen on the idea of paying big money for two coaches at the same time, one of them to not coach. So that's going to be problematic on its own end in terms of just budgetary constraints. You're not going to hear the Flames say that, but I'll say that out loud. Um, and the other part of it is, too, like how much are any of those coaches, are they better suited to take over this team right now, especially with some transition that's likely to occur, if not this summer, then the summer after the fact, in terms of knowing a lot of the players in this organization? Uh, that's going to be a key part of it too, is a comfortability factor. So, you know, I've thought about this a lot in the last few days, and especially since Connor McDavid said something that sort of piqued my attention uh, right after the King series, a guy that doesn't really say a whole lot, but he made a declaration that Jay Woodcroft is one of the top three or five coaches in the NHL. And I was just thinking back to, you know, the other coaches that the Oilers went through in the McDavid era just to get to Jay Woodcroft, who they had internally coaching in Bakersfield. And it was like, yeah, there's a, there's always some veteran coach somewhere that you could bring in 
that has been through it before and has done it. But is that how you find the next John Cooper? Like, where did all these guys, someone had to get their starts somewhere at some point. Why can't Mitch Love or Ryan Huska or whoever it might be, why can't that person be the next one? So I I tend to always, much in the same way that I think a more simplistic view with one general manager is the right way to go, I tend to think instead of getting someone that's a retread, that's been around the block eight times before is never going to change. Go out and, and, and get someone new, get some fresh blood in here. And you know what, if it doesn't work, there was a high probability that your retread coach wasn't going to work either. That was NHL insider Frank Saravalli from Daily Faceoff uh, joining Russick and Rose on the big show earlier today as the Flames GM search continues and in turn the Flames coaching search continues as well. And uh, some texts at 960-960 coming in while uh, I was playing that clip from Frank. And, you know, a lot of it revolving around the question of that, that Eric Francis brought up going back when Don Maloney announced the firing of Daryl Sutter of, you know, would Brad Trilliving still be a candidate for the GM job or, you know, George asking Frank had Daryl Sutter been fired first or been let go first, would Brad still be the GM here? And that's been mixed emotions from other, you know, from other sides of this. And and there's something here on the text line that I wanted to read. And this one says, uh, Logan, I know many people think highly of Brad. I'm sure Brad was a great guy, but after nine years, the flames have been in the middle. It was time to, uh, time for a new face in that role. As for players, they shouldn't be so anxious to keep all the players on UFA. Trade, get assets. Many of them could be part of the toxic or bad culture. Also, if there's any way to move Jonathan, take it. Don't think he's a good fit for this team long term. Uh, This text came in saying, The case for bringing Trilling back is ridiculous. Brad should have been fired when Johnny walked. That was 100% on Brad. Moving on from Brad and Daryl is the right move. Time to move on from all the dysfunction. External candidates only. Uh, Dylan Revelstoke, our pal Dylan and Revelstoke texting in saying, not sure why everyone's so sad about Brad. Nine years of one step forward, one step back, having no foresight at all with Gaudreau, Kachuk, Geo, Monahan, Brody, and more. What's the point? New blood, please. And look, this is what I'll say about Brad. I think Brad Living did more good than bad as GM of the Calgary Flames. I, I really believe that. I think as far as drafting goes, uh, I think trades for a large part were good under Brad. Um, I certainly think that extensions, handling RFAs and those kind of moves resulted in some very team-friendly contracts. But yeah, the the thinking has to change in the sense of what makes this team successful. Making the playoffs two years in the row or getting to the second round can't be can't continue to be a win for this team. And I say that in the sense of, yes, it, it can be a, a positive and it can be a stepping stone, but eventually, how long until that's just, like a lot of you have said, being in the middle? And when you can't get past that step, when is it time to bring in a new, a new GM and a new voice? And these aren't, these aren't comparing apples to apples, but... Look at Seattle and look at Vegas and look what they were able to do in a very short period of time. Now they've done it in different ways and the expansion draft gave them, you know, certain advantages over other teams and certainly put them in a good spot. But both of these are now franchises that are 
you know, setting a pretty big bar and accomplishing things that teams, not, and not just Calgary, Vancouver's in this boat. Other teams are in this boat too that, you know, haven't been able to accomplish in 10 years. Vegas is, since coming into the league, with the exception of last season, has been a perennial playoff team. Calgary hasn't done that in a decade. Calgary didn't do that during Brad's time. And while I do think Brad did a good job, I, I do think nine years is a, a more than a fair evaluation time. And I do think that you can sit here and be okay that the Flames did clean house in a sense and are moving on with a new direction and potentially you know, a new bar to set because sooner or later you're, you're either okay being a middling team and you're just going to have to learn to accept that or you start to change what the standard is. And I'm not saying you have to go to the Stanley Cup final three years in a row like Tampa Bay. That would be great. That's dynasty-level stuff. But you have to change what the, the basis of success means for your team. And it can't be what it's been for the last... And it was even before Brad. I don't want to just include Brad's tenure in this because it, it was before Brad too. I'm beating Calgary my entire I get it. It's in one year, out the next. And since 0304, it's been okay. Hope we catch magic like we did in 0304 and go on to another one of those championship runs. Got to stop. Start building it forward. Start building it so that the next year, the playoffs in multiple years, that's your success. And then moving on a couple of rounds. And being there on a consistent basis because you can't you're not winning anything drafting sixteenth in the in the draft every year. And if you're one of those people that feel that it was time for change and you're happy to see that, good on you. Cause I, I do think that, you know, talking about almost a decade of a GM and as much good as Brad did, and as much as I, I liked him as a person and thought he was a good general manager, yeah, you want to compare actual success and if you judge success as playoff wins and playoff series and Stanley Cup final appearances the resume falls short and I think that's what Flames fans want most now is to change what success means here in Calgary who that'll be who that's tasked to is it Craig Conroy is it somebody else Uh, I don't know but it's certainly I think going to be a very interesting process for how they go about it Uh, when they bring in a head coach and when we talk about this team heading into the fall and what should be a very interesting offseason for the Calgary Flames. Uh, It's going to do it for us. We've got to wrap up and get out of here. Hockey Central 960 with the one and only Haley Salvian is coming up next. Don't miss Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg and Aaron Vickers a little bit later on and a doubleheader of hockey on your radios tonight. Panthers and Leafs Game 2, Kraken and Dallas Game 2. Both of those games hosted by our wonderful duo, of uh, Garrett and Azam, so don't miss it. They'll take over a little bit later on tonight and get you that doubleheader of playoff hockey. We will be back on a Friday, our final hit with Lou for the regular season, uh, or for the uh, hockey season, I should say. Uh, Comes tomorrow, another edition of What Does Lou Say, and uh, we'll get you set for it. Should be a great weekend uh, across the sporting world. Have a great Thursday. Thanks for listening live or on the podcast. Shout out to my outstanding producer, Taylor Dingman, for doing an awesome job today. We will be back tomorrow with a Friday edition of Sportsnet Today. You're on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.